Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to More Than a Season podcast with Ashley and Brittany. Join us as we walk through what life is like supporting someone within the sports industry. Real, authentic, behind-the-scenes look at what the support system experiences but no one discusses. Grab a drink, sit back, and listen because we are about to get real. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Stop listening. Press pause. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll down to the ratings and reviews. Select five stars and give us a review. And if you're on Spotify, click our podcast page and click follow and download to listen to all of our episodes. Thanks so much. Enjoy this episode. Well, hello there. Hey, friends. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are so excited. You know, we love our interviews and we have a special guest and we're going to let her introduce herself. Hello, everyone. I am Kamei Missoula. I am the wife of Joe Missoula an assistant basketball coach with the Boston Celtics. I am also a mother of two very wild and crazy boys. It's been an adjustment and an adventure that I'm excited to talk about with you guys. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on, and we know that your journey probably hasn't started with the Boston Celtics. So give us a rundown of how you guys met and how you got into that basketball life. Well, I am a former dual collegiate athlete. I played volleyball and ran track. At the second school that I attended is where I continued my athletic career, and I was a head volleyball coach at Glenville State College, a very small, small town, one stoplight, and that is also where my husband started coaching as well. So that is where we met. I did not like him when I first met him, <laughs> so, but it worked out great because we started off as just friends and He ended up actually, after that, taking a job at a rival school. And as you guys may be very familiar with, that doesn't really work out. (laughs) So I guess I retired from collegiate coaching after five years and kind of made a commitment at that point to invest in his career. I want to go to that moment when you had to kind of close your own chapter and start that transition to follow his career. What was going through your mind in that moment? Communication is like one of our strongest suits. Now, that doesn't mean it's always happy communication, but we're able to really have those hard conversations and really talk things through. So it was something that we kind of always knew. Like my passion wasn't as strong in coaching as his was. I love sports. Obviously I've done it my whole life, but his passion is just like out of this world and mine wasn't. And so um, we also broke it down to the reality of things, a women's volleyball coach versus a men's basketball coach, kids, just everything, two different seasons. It just was not ideally going to work. And I think it was like mature decision, a thought out decision. So we were very comfortable. I mean, I don't look back at all and say, why did I do that? Like, there's no doubt that we we were where we needed to be at that time. That's a hard conversation to have and to be that mature and to be able to be like, you know what, like this is gonna be better for us financially and as a family and moving forward, that's awesome. When you did decide to close that chapter, what did you decide to do that was your passion and that you could, you know, make your own? It's really funny because I was the breadwinner 
for the first six years of his career. And so I literally went in on a Monday, told my team, of course, you're crying because you connect with everyone and resigned. I had no job. I had no plan. And we were working with his budget, which was like nil, like his third year of coaching. That's like camp money and stipends. You know what I mean? It was like nothing. But we really, we prayed on this decision. We fasted. It was actually one of our first times fasting. And I remember it like plain as day. By Wednesday, I had a job. I was a clerk for a judge. West Virginia is a small town, so people really take care of you. They know they knew my husband through college basketball, and I had a job by that Wednesday that still allowed me to be the financer, I guess, of his his dream at that point. That's awesome that you had that opportunity and that we have lived in some small towns and it is crazy that community feel that everyone just kind of steps in because they know the reality of what you're living in. And so I do want to ask, once you started moving around and getting the groove, did you feel like you found a sense of identity with like your community? There in Fairmont, it was a very slight transition. And I think that transition was because I went from athletics to a regular nine to five job. But other than that, no, like to this day, Fairmont is like home to us. We spent most of his career, two different types of it, head coach and assistant there. He actually went to Maine without us when he worked with the G League for a year, one season, and we stayed in Fairmont and didn't even leave. That's how much it became home for us and a support system for us. I also began to really excel in my own career. I transitioned from a courtroom clerk for a judge to a probation officer. So I really like just dove into my career. I was coaching my son's basketball team and Maine came up and he said, oh, I have this job. It's with the G League. It's my dream. And I said, I'm not going to Maine. And so we, again, it was one of those really hard conversations and reality of things. I was getting my master's, my kids were just settling. I had a four month old and we made that decision again for his career. I was making good money. That was no money type of job, but we knew he needed that networking and the development that he could gain. And lo and behold, four years later, it ended up paying off and we didn't even know it. And looking back, people are like, how did you do that? I mean, I was coaching a fourth grade basketball team, had a four month old, getting my master's and working a full-time job. And I didn't even think anything of it. I was just like going through the motions. And I'm like, you go to Maine. He came home once and I went up there once and that was it for six months. And when you say it that way, you're like, oh, I did do that. But it worked out for us. And I think it comes in the territory of when we really committed to his career and what we knew that sometimes sacrifices were going to happen. And those were extreme. He said he'd never do that again. I think it was harder for him, but just part of the journey. I do want to ask how you kept your mental sanity doing all those things and then him, you know, chasing his dream and you're back. How did you wrap your mind around that? It just happened. And we said, we're just going to do it and we're just going to make it work. And again, at that point, we were already, I think, at Fairmont for three years. So I had a great support system. The team was still even our family and all my friends and work. I had such a great boss and such a great director. I had not a secretary, but someone that worked with me and 
she stepped up a lot of the time when I needed like run and grab my kids or something like that. But it just all just happened to work out just the way it needed to. And like I said, at the time, it didn't even seem that hard. It was just, you just did it and you just keep on going. Yeah. You're like Wonder Woman. I just, I'm taking all that in. (laughs) I can barely take care of myself most days. So that's just like, what was your guys' next step after that then? So when he came home from that G League coaching job, what did you guys do after that? So in Maine at the G League, that is when he really got some education on what he would need to get into NBA. And he had not been a head coach at that point. And everything just lined up at that time. And his former boss, that was the head coach at Fairmont, ended up taking a division one job. They made a national championship run, got runner up. He got a new job. They called Joe literally at like 11 o'clock after that game. You know how fast that stuff moves. And Joe was like, let me call Kameg. And I was like, yes, because we were there. We were still in Fairmont. So I'm like, come on back. And we loved the team. He'd recruited half the guys. You already had these connections and he needed the head coaching experience. And so that was like our next transition. So just to clarify, he came back and was the head coach at the school that you are currently living in. Wow, that is is awesome. That worked out perfectly. (laughs) Yeah, that is amazing. And so you stayed there for a while, and then what's next? We're trying to get the full scoop (laughs) on you because we love it. So then we were there two years. We committed to four years. We're like, we're going to be here for four years. We're going to do another national championship run. The team is just still to this day out of the world, talented, the community, the tradition. And two years in, we had bought a house and like just really settled in. I developed a new probation program for juvenile drug court. All the wheels were turning. We're good. And I'm sitting on the couch. He walks down the stairs. He's like, Danny Ainge is on the phone. And I was like, what? He's like, Danny Ainge. And it was Danny Ainge of the Boston Celtics. And I was like, no, no way. And just offered him a job. And we said we had to pray on it. And we wanted to talk to everyone because Fairmont was our family at that time. Everyone on staff is to this day, like my kid's godfather, my brother, they're, they're just, we're really close. And it was a hard, hard decision. We bawled hysterically, my husband, me, the team, and It was funny because the day he was making the decision, I had already told my boss, already told my coworkers, he had already told his seniors and his captains and the coaches, but he was really going to just tell the whole team, this is the decision. Thank you. Whatever. He called me. I'm at work. He calls me. He's like, we're not going. I'm not going to Boston. (laughs) I'm like, oh, the hell you are. Yes, we are. And then we, we just did it. It happened. He had to leave. I think within that week he was gone. Yeah. That's so crazy. crazy. (laughs) He's like, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. You're like, um, so now that you've made it to the NBA, what is the difference between college and NBA? Not just with the schedule and things like that, but even just like your life in general. You had asked earlier about the transition when I went from coaching and then we really dove into his career and how we adjusted. This is and or has been probably the hardest adjustment for me admittedly I was just talking to girlfriends yesterday that I'm I'm still this is our second season it's all confusing because of the bubble but our second season in and it's it's much different the environment is different I miss 
the team. I miss the guys. You know what I mean? We hosted dinners every Saturday or Sunday and we had game nights. Finals week, I made them all individual packages. And when they get sick, I, I'm communicating with their moms to see what they need. And so you don't have that in the professional world. You also have a lot of different pieces moving and they're not all interconnected. And I think in collegiate, you're all interconnected. You're all together. And here it's a little it's a little less, which isn't a bad thing. It's just an adjustment. And so I'm still adjusting to that, to be very candid. Yeah, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah, that's a hard transition. And, you know, going from a small town to a bigger city, too, is also a transition in itself. What have you done or what are you you doing with your career? Did you decide to put that on hold right now or what are you up to? So that's another thing I've worked my whole life. And then there was a point where we were even going to just go with my career. And now it's, I'm a stay at home mom. It's my first time ever. And my kids are crazy, (laughs) but that's an adjustment doing that where it's, it's a huge blessing to not have to work. But again, moment of candor, I think I struggle with my own sense of, I don't know if you would say purpose versus identity, because I'm comfortable in who I am. And I have an idea of what my purpose is, because I think that's always been there. However, I think the pressure that is put on to women, moms, coaches, wives, anyone is like, should you be working or should you be staying at home and being a stay at home? And that's such a thin line. And I think we also put that pressure on ourselves. And so I applied to be a professor at a community college and my husband was like, why are you rushing? Why are you rushing to get back to work? This is something you've sacrificed years when I was the one doing most of the work. He's like, now you can slow down. I used to pray to slow down because I would wake up in the morning and you're rushing, right? You're getting the kids ready. You're trying to get to work on time. Then you have practice after and you have this and you're I'm rushing, rushing. And I told my mom, I was like, I need to slow down. We get to Boston. I have nothing to do with my life, right? I'm not working. We're just hanging out. And I was walking with my three-year-old at the time to the playground. And I'm like, come on, come on, come on. And I was like, why am I rushing? We have no, like, there's no, but it was so innate. And it was so much stress all the time. And so when I remind myself of that, I'm like, this may just be a way that I'm being told, slow it down. You wanted to slow down. This is a way that you were forced to slow down, enjoy, be rewarded, find a purpose, maybe impact someone else's life a different way. No, I love all of that because I think that with women, we do, we put all this pressure on ourselves to meet this expectation that I have no idea. And we, we talk about this all the time is that we put it on ourselves to do stuff like that. So I applaud you for saying that. And I do think you have found your thing because just sharing in general is just so helpful with just even your testimony as a whole. So I think it's all great. So you and your husband, you seem very strong with communication, but what other tips Tips and tricks have you found along the way to keep your marriage successful within this crazy lifestyle? That was something that I have networked and made a more conscious effort to network with other coaches' wives. We started going to a marriage retreat, sidebar with that. We went to this marriage retreat. We asked these friends, uh, close friends of ours, if they could meet us for dinner. We wanted to catch up. They're like, yeah, sure. We start the conversation saying, oh, we just got back from a marriage retreat. And they're like, oh, 
is everything okay? Like, are you guys okay? <laughs> we're like, yes, no, everything's fine. But it's a marriage retreat put on by Nations of Coaches, which is a great organization. And it is strictly for coaches and their wives to reconnect after season. And it's based on a very scary statistic that I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that coaches have one of the highest divorce rates. So the average divorce rate is 50 something and coaches are like 20 something higher than that. It's like obscene. And so that was something that we really appreciated. We went to this marriage retreat a few years after seasons. And the first year we went is when we made a conscious decision. Like after every season, we need to revisit each other. We need to revisit what we're going to do moving forward. We need to revisit our roles. We're huge on roles and not like know your role. This is my role. Nothing like that. Cause roles change too, but roles and expectations. I can't expect my husband to be home at five 30 for dinner. One, he would never because he's a workaholic. And two, like as an assistant coach sometimes, and even as a head coach, you can't always put these expectations that they're not going to meet. And then your roles change. When I was a working mom and support system, while my role was like the finance and the provider, I was still the one cooking and cleaning and this and this. So we just really communicate what our role is and what we expect out of each other, as well as what we need. And I think those are probably the top things. It's just being clear on what we expect of each other each year, how that adjusts what we learned that season, and then what we plan on doing that next year. Wow, that's amazing. I've never heard of this retreat before. That's so cool. I'm sure our followers would definitely be interested in that as well. It's definitely one of those things where when they get back from season and you're kind of like, oh yeah, now that's who you are. I forgot you were there <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So how did you tell your kids that you guys were moving to Boston? Because you built this amazing community around yourself and around your children. And then what was that conversation like when you decided to take this job? So our youngest was only three. And so it was kind of just like, hey, we're going. <laughs> Our oldest, he was in fourth grade. And in West Virginia, he was going to be going into middle school. So he was the one that we really had to see how it would go. But again, this has been something our whole family has communicated on. We've always like either at dinner conversations, hey, do you want to go to boarding school? Or do you want to do this? Or what do you think about moving to Paris? Like we just have these conversations to get feelers on things that could happen, maybe happen, maybe never, ever happen. And so we really did value his opinion, even at fourth grade, but he was all for it. He, he really didn't mind. He was sad because of course he had developed these really great friends. This is where he had been since kindergarten. So this was his first big move. And I think, and this kind of goes in the line with what our world is going in through right now, children also respond to how you respond. And so I tried to do my best to not put my stresses or lack of adjusting very well onto him because he was going to be excited if, if I was excited. And he was able to come up with my husband a few days before I was. I had to wait and close on the house and pack everything. Well, I didn't have to pack this time, thank goodness, but get everything settled. So he got to come up and feel all that excitement with my husband. And I think that helped the transition. He also got to ride on the team plane before I did. He got to stay at the Ritz before I did. So he, we really try to give him and show him why or what may feel like a rough thing can sometimes be a really great thing. And to not let those short-term moments or feelings overtake 
what could be really, really good for everyone. No, that's an awesome outlook on all that. I think that, you know, that is so neat that he gets to be a part of all those decisions. And I think that's very important. We're learning by interviewing many women that that's the best way to go about it because you just need to tell them the truth and their reaction is going to be based on how you react. So love all of that. With living in Boston, what are some things that have surprised you that you did not realize? I get wine delivered to my door in 45 minutes. <laughs> I come straight to the front door. So that's been great. No, uh, Boston is actually beautiful. It is so diverse. It is so much history and you hear that. And I struggled when everyone's like, oh my gosh, how are you not excited? Because I wasn't excited, remember at first. And it is, there's, I love being outdoors. Granted, all the seasons here are winter, 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 because that's <laughs> that's the only season here. But it's really cool here. There's just, there's so much. And coming, I'm small town girl, one stoplight town. So coming here, everything, literally there's everything just at your fingertips. Boston is near and dear to my heart. My dad is from there. And so I love Boston. So just give me flashbacks, memories. I love it. <laughs> if you had to go back in time and tell yourself, your younger self, something or tell someone that's just starting out in this journey, something that you've learned, what would you tell them? Lately, my number one thing, and this goes to coaches' wives, this goes to marriage, this goes to women, this goes to social media comparison is the thief of joy and your moment will come when it's supposed to come and to celebrate where you are in that moment and worry about the rest of that journey as it comes to you. You may see another coach winning and it's a coach you don't really like and you're like, why are they winning and we're not type of thing? Because I felt that way before. And diminishing someone else's light does not make you brighter, right? And everything isn't what it seems. And then there's in life and in marriage, especially with coaches and wives, every relationship is a give and a take. And you tend to have someone that gives more and someone that takes more. And that's not a bad thing. I think with coaches, wives, we tend to be the givers and husbands tend to take. And that's fine. Again, we define that role. My husband and I, we talk about that role. We know that he is the taker and that there's some days I have to remind him, hey, you're taking too much. I got nothing left to give. You got to give some back to me. And that it's okay to be a giver. I think sometimes this world makes us think selfishly and we always want something in return. And I don't think that's the real point of giving, that it's okay to give all you have. And if you give it to the right people, they're going to feed it back into you. Fans as well. No. <laughs> Love all of that feedback. We appreciate your time and being on our show. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you yeah, to thank everyone you. else that's listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this interview on More Than a Season podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at more than a season underscore women's guide for the latest updates. You can also follow our personal Instagram accounts at Ashley M. Kramer and Britt Labby. We would love it if you would download, subscribe, and leave us a review on your choice of platform. Thank you so much. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.